Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Welcome to the Untitled Film oh my Podcast. God, that's terrible. Woo-hoo. Blew out the eardrums. I'm Kajani. And this is. Well, if you get Kevin. to do a southern accent, well, I'm going to do a southern accent too, my God. I, I would my argue that I wasn't doing a southern accent, I was just making a noise, but. Well, it sounded, it sounded kind of like a, a kind of yeehaw cowboy sort of thing. That's what I thought you were going for. Yeehaw, rootin' tootin', cowboy time. Uh, I never. Uh, I think that kind of whole stereotype is kind of southern slash Texan slash cowboys. I think it's more Texan. That's more like a like a grandpa esque kind of like a. Something I've been Simpsons. watching the Golden Girls, so I've been doing Blanche Dubl- uh, a, a Blanche Devereaux impression. Fair enough. Oh my lord! Anyway, wow. We've been lost the entirety of the South of America. Yeah. The <laughs> West. Sorry, the um. Uh, Texan side, which isn't. The Luckily, I don't think we have a huge amount of viewing figures there anyway. <laughs> Probably so, not. <laughs> figures. I think we'll be all right. Yeah. Either that or they loved it and were like, that was the greatest impression of all time. Yeah, maybe. maybe I mean, I wasn't really doing impression, I was just making noises. Well, you may have stumbled into an accurate impression there. <laughs> I don't think so, but there we go. <laughs> You never know. You never know what they think. Anyway, Callum, if they want to see these these imaginary listeners from the deep south of the states want to um, see more impressions and good stuff from us, where might they find such things? Well, you can hop along to Untitled Film Podcast, and well, by God, there's lots of good content on there on Instagram and Facebook. And we ask questions. Uh, you can send us a message, and we're also on YouTube. If you haven't gotten up with this whole Spotify revolution. Hello, Mum. And uh, I asked a question this week. We didn't get any uh, responses, but I'll get a response from you. Since we're doing true crime, um, what are some cases or crimes that you'd like to see dramatised either as a documentary that you haven't seen before or as like a David Fincher Zodiac sort of thing? 
because I have what I have one, but I was wondering if you had one. The case of um, why Callum always says I buy that for a dollar <laughs> after the middle of the episode. It's because Robocop's a great movie, and I want to make sure that everybody knows it. If you say so. <laughs> um, I can't, I, I'm sure there's loads. I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Okay, well, I'll um, jump in. Uh, for a little while, when I got into my true crime stage, as a lot of teenagers do, um, one that really interested me. And I mean, you in your 30s, but okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, from my teens until my 30s, it hasn't stopped. Um, uh, one case that I've always been interested in that hasn't got a lot of coverage, except very recently there was a fictionalized book made about it, and maybe that will be a film one day. It's about the New Orleans Axeman who uh, chops up Italian um, butchers and greengrocers in New Orleans in the 1920s. And mm-hmm. it's got ties to the mob. There's lots of speculation. He was never caught. So it's one of those things that would make a good movie. Made a very good book. I've read the book, um, The Axeman's Jazz, because apparently he, he wouldn't kill anyone if you played jazz. And there was a certain night that everybody had to have jazz playing in, you know, and he would roam the streets. And if you didn't hear jazz, he'd come to get you. And that was one of his things. So um, I think it would make a really good movie. Maybe one day the book will be uh, adapted. But so far, there hasn't been an adaptation. So hopefully that. I'll tell you one that I don't remember being a um, uh, in the movie. Uh, have you heard of H.H. H. Holmes? Yes, yes, I have. So he was a con artist and serial killer that basically like built a giant house where he would kill people ineffectively. Um, but yeah, they reckon he confessed to 27 murders while he was alive, but probably did a lot more. I think his tales would be crazy. Works, but they've never been able to get it going. So I think one was supposed to be made with Leonardo DiCaprio. I think it was going to be a Scorsese film, but it just fell apart. And it's been a few people, a few of Hollywood's big leading men have wanted to play H.H. Holmes. I think Bradley Cooper was another one. I feel, fell apart. I feel like it could go either way. Like you could make a, you know, like a really like low budget, like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Obviously like Texas Chainsaw Massacre and... Um, uh, what's the Hitchcock film, the really famous one that's just gone in my head? Psycho. Okay. Obviously, they're based on the same murderer, very yes, different right. takes. And I feel like with that, you could either do like the House of Horrors and have like a really like low budget, long miss. Like... I think that would be really cool. I would love to see that, like a trapped in the House of Horrors. Yeah, it'd be kind of like Saw-esque, but in, like yeah. the, in the eight, late 18th century. Like Saw meets Sweeney Todd. That would be really cool. Or you could do it like really accurate, kind of a bit like the the Osage one that's coming out soon. The Hollywood, Killer of the Moonflower. Uh, we want a million dollars. We want don't want or a hundred million dollars and nothing in between. Oh, I meant for our paycheck, not oh. for the budget. I couldn't oh, okay. give a, we, we'll, we'll write it. Some schmuck will will direct it, and Leonardo DiCaprio will star in it. Well, if it's the high budget one, maybe. But anyway, maybe. we should see. But no, that is our ideas for moving. Um, yeah. Speaking of ideas for movies, some new movies and information about movies has been announced this week and in a thing that we sometimes call the news. Uh, Callum, do you have any news for us this week? Yes, um, uh, quite a nice one, actually. Um, Martin Scorsese was recently interviewed by Edgar Wright in an hour and a half special for the BFI. And uh, for a while, there were only pictures and clips being released, but the whole thing has been released on the BFI channel's YouTube channel. Um, it, it's all there. I watched it earlier today. It's really lovely. 
they have a really good conversation. Uh, they bring, they go through a whole career retrospective while also hyping up, because this is what it's ultimately for, hyping up his next film, The Killers of the Flower Moon. And it was a really nice conversation. And uh, anyone who's interested in the history of cinema, because Scorsese is a custodian of that, and uh, just interested in his career, um, go and watch it. It's good fun. Excellent. Um, yeah, that sounds sounds very interesting. I, I, you know, very storied career and probably closer to the end than the start. So, no, interesting to see. I think that kind of actually brings me on for a plug for next week's episode. I think next week we are going to be doing a retrospective of... Quentin Tarantino. So, wait for us to praise him, drag him a bit, and hit, we're going to, give a, going to give our top ten tier lists as well. Uh, or be nine, I suppose. Or ten, because Kill Bill counts as two. Yeah, it depends how we choose. Because we I, haven't obviously the tenth movie's not out yet. I count it as two, to be fair. I count it as two as well. So it'd be yeah. ten movies. We'll be our top ten. Because technically he'll have done eleven movies despite he says ten. Um <laughs> but anyway. Uh that's next week. Uh my piece of news this week is you may have seen this, Daredevil was getting another series finally. I did see and this. they have fired all the writers and are going scorched earth and starting from scratch which is either very very good or very very bad i wonder if this is retaliation a bit for the whole writer strike like just to flex their muscle a bit maybe either that or maybe i i don't know who the writers were um so i don't know if they were the same writers as the old series i don't know it if was. they'd like no, used... the, the uh, original showrunner kind of made a point of talking about how much he wasn't involved with it because he didn't want to be associated with Disney fluffiness. Fair enough. I wondered if they were going maybe down the Hulk route and realised, She-Hulk even, and realised that maybe that was too fluffy and they've gone a bit darker or something. We'll see. Maybe. It, it's, either, it's either a good or a bad thing, isn't it, I suppose? It's uh, either they're trying to shake, after many, many failures recently, trying to shake up the Marvel TV universe or it's... Um, Disney overcorrecting as they sometimes do. We'll find out. We'll probably find out in the not too distant future. Proof will certainly be in the pudding. Absolutely. Excellent. Well, that is the news for this week. We're doing a nice short one. So, Callum, what are we going to be talking about uh, this week? I know you mentioned earlier that we will be talking about true crime. Yes. So, uh, two true crime specials. Both of them are on Netflix. Um, the British. first one that. Yes, and they're both British crimes. Um, they are the most recent one from 2023 this year is Who Killed Jill Dando? And then we're going to go back to the very far off year of 2020 to talk about the documentary The Ripper, about the Yorkshire Ripper. Um, both very sordid pieces of things that suddenly became very inarticulate. But yes, uh, two uh, true crime documentaries. So uh, we'll be starting with Who Killed Jill Dando? Who wants to take it? I don't mind taking this one. Yeah, go for it. Okay, so uh, the um, Jill Dando, it's, uh, she was a presenter in the 90s, very popular. She presented uh, Crime Watch, which in a way was kind of one of the first proper, you know, even though it was kind of billed itself as you can help find these criminals if you have any advice or have, if you know any of these people, call the line. But a lot of people watched it in the same way that they watch True Crime today, just to kind of gawp and to rubberneck. She was the host, but not only of that, but also of the news. And uh, she was very successful, very professional. And in the late 90s, in 1999, she was killed just outside her house. And this documentary goes through what very little is known. Um, the various suspects, the eventual trial of 
the person of the main suspect, if you like, and the fallout that all went around um, kind of who did this? Was it these people? Was it that person? And the kind of inconclusivity of it all. So, Johnny, what did you think of who killed Jill Dando? Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> it's pretty pretty standard Netflix affair um, up until the final episode, but I'll come up to that in a minute. First couple of episodes, it's it's found footage. It's a few talking heads kind of glued together. Um, a lot of theories that possibly don't really stack up um, or don't really aren't really that well fleshed out. And then it turns interesting. So for those that don't know too much about the the, the murder of Giordano, Giordano was a very famous TV presenter, as Callum has said, in the UK, one of the biggest people. She was kind of known for her likeness to Princess Diana and was kind of like, it was a massive, yeah, everyone knew who she was at the time. Um, and her death was a real tragedy, but also a real shock to a lot of people. Um, but the person who eventually was done for it uh, was... Some would say slam dunk case and some would say incredibly dubious. And I think probably the answer is somewhere in between because I don't think he was necessarily the nicest piece of work in the world. Um, but they interview him in this documentary and they are the most interesting, most harrowing bits of it. And it kind of starts to elevate it slightly at that point. Um, and also it's one of those things, it's quite, in, I've watched a few documentaries recently where you, someone who's, you know, maybe at the centre of something has been interviewed and you're kind of trying to, and if you, you, you haven't got a fully formed opinion and you can't decide what way you're going to go and you're trying to suss them out, are they telling the truth? Are they a liar? Are they a scumbag? Are they an innocent who's been caught on the wheels of justice? Um, and I think that is probably the most interesting part of this documentary. Um, but overall, you know, the nuts and bolts are there for the most part, but it starts to elevate in the last episode. And your thoughts, Callum? Yeah, I mean, quite a lot. I, probably, I think I'm a bit more negative than you because... The more I think about it, the more these kinds of Netflix documentaries are starting to annoy me a bit because they're so cranked out for content that it doesn't matter if there's really nothing to talk about. And especially over three episodes, as you were saying, it's two episodes of in, in, uh, being inconclusive. And then it's one fairly interesting episode. But it's true. The first two episodes, there's about 20 minutes of summing up. Like, who is this person? Why is she important? Uh, this is her career. She was very impressive. She was very well liked. Okay, that's great. And then for the next, I don't know, hour, so over two episodes, so the last 20 minutes of that first episode, and then the whole entirety of episode two, it's one big, uh, uh, we don't know. We don't, why are you asking us? There's almost a sort of um, defensiveness about it where, you know, they just seem to flit around quite a bit in episode two. Like, Maybe uh, she reported on this these people in a in a in a war. Maybe it was someone who was uh, you know a, a victim of that war who was irate. Yeah, maybe it was filmmaker. But if you can't really say, that's not worthy of ten minutes of our screen time. It's barely worthy of one. And it, I don't know. I just find these um, Netflix documentaries when there isn't something solid to hang your hat on, which I think we'll get to in the next one. There's a very kind of like look, we don't care, you don't care, you're watching this with your tea uh, after a long night at work, you want something to switch off to, let's not pretend anyone cares. Oh, by the way, the third episode's come out, and actually this one's fairly interesting because the um, accused, while he might not have murdered her, we don't know, again, oh, yeah. um, he's a very strange and very creepy person, he has lots of um, sexual assault crimes to his name, and is a very 
you know, and there was a moment of actual friction there where your skin actually does crawl a bit. But um, we reviewed the hatchet wielding hitchhiker not so long ago, and that was bad taste. There was a grubbiness to it all, a um, uh, exploitation to it all. And even though that's not good, there's still a feeling of something to talk about. At least you can then go, oh, wasn't it bad taste? This one is too well behaved to even be bad taste. There's just nothing to chew on and you know there's almost like netflix like i said it's looking at you and going look we don't care you don't care you're just watching this while you wash your dishes so let's not pretend anyone really cares and and these um on-demand um documentaries are starting to tick me off a bit with that in fact uh the director marcus plowright a while ago in 2019 made a one-hour special the murder of jill dando that went out on tv i can't see which channel it's on IMDb doesn't say, but it seems like that would have been a lot better, an hour-long special. But yes, sorry for my rant. <laughs> yeah, I kind of know what you mean. I still, uh, yeah, I think it does. It, it's, I think it's partially the problem you have when you have a lot of kind of weird unsolved cases. Um, it sometimes is really hard to uh, kind of pin stuff down. Obviously, there's lots of theories, but how do you kind of connect those um uh, those kind of bits together there was that i think her name was carrie lamb i don't know if you remember the netflix did a documentary about the cecil hotel Have you... no, i didn't see that one so cecil hotel is this quite famous hotel on skid row in um uh in la that is known for over the years to have like lots of suicides and and all these things happen there and about 10 15 years ago there was a young lady who was like visiting from I think from Canada, and somehow then they found her body in the um, water tank on the roof of the building, um, and she was there was like this like CCTV CCTV footage of her looking like talking to herself, look like she's arguing with someone, and but you can't see who it is. And anyway, they did a four part series on that, and nothing <laughs> like it's all bullshit basically. And then basically the end goes, oh, actually she probably just had a schizophrenic episode and jumped in the water tank um so yeah very kind of like suspect and i think it's a bit like that other than the i uh, say the last episode's quite interesting if they'd made like an hour and a half movie of it with that kind of being the, the piece of resistance but like yeah it kind of tells you about the case and tells you about uh, Dando a bit and then kind of like drifts around for a bit going well some people said they thought they saw a car other people thought they said they saw a person at a bus other people thought they said they saw this also, she was reporting on this, and also this, and also, and it's like it's just like six theories, ten minutes, giving them each ten minutes, and yeah, like you say, it doesn't really hang together that much. Having said that, I think this is a hard thing, really. Like, is it disrespectful to make something that's not like amazing about something so important? Is it kind of disrespectful to make basically having your tea kind of with it kind of programming? Um, and I think we're going to get to something where you definitely wouldn't want to be eating your tea with it after. Um, but like, but that's kind of what it is. It's kind of like mild-mannered, mediocre, like, you know, eat your veg kind of TV. It doesn't really do anything particularly special. And I think it is a bit weird to, you know, if it's something so, true crime is interesting. People are interested in it because they're interested in the macabre and stuff. Um, and, I think if you're going to do it, you have to kind of do it right. You can't be too sensational and you can't be too flippant. And I think this airs towards too flippant until the final episode. 
No, very much agreed. It's it's just very weightless, and you brought it up an interesting point there. Is it even though the documentary isn't bad taste, like I didn't get the sense of exploitation from it, but is it just bad taste in general to make true crime documentaries about people who died and then only with the intention of making a few bucks, getting a few eyeballs and um, you know, having people eating their dinner, washing their dishes while this is sort of playing in the background and going, oh, right. Oh. I, kind oh, of, died. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I personally have the opinion that it's some of these things are important to tell and it's important to understand these people and stuff, but like understand human psychology and things. But I think if you're going to do it, you have to do it respectfully. It's certainly a fine line. And I think, I don't think this was disrespectful, but I, I don't know if it was good enough quality to, to make yeah. it. I mean, there's I, other I things I've seen before where like, I found them actually like disrespectful. I'm like, this has sure. gone a step too far. I feel like the second season of Making a Murderer went maybe a bit disrespectful, bearing in mind like people actually have died because of this and, yeah. and stuff, whereas the first season actually did seem quite interesting. But um, yeah. No, I, I certainly didn't get the impression that it was, was mucky or, or kind of you know, grubby or anything like that. No. Anyway, I think that probably wraps up our thoughts on. Uh, who killed Giordando? I think so. Excellent. Uh, and with that, here is an advertisement break. And Callum's not going to say I'd buy that for a dollar afterwards because it would be disrespectful being bearing well what we're talking about this week. Oh, you bastard. And welcome back to this very respectful episode. Hushed tones. See, I'm not going to say it. Good. We have to do the podcast voice. So next, we're going to talk about Ripper. Or The Ripper. I think the Ripper, is, is it? It's probably a def- definite article. This is a slight tangent, but it's probably because the, the night before, I was drinking an Australian r- wine called Ripper, because Ripper in Australia has a very different meaning. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, Ripper in Australia is like, uh, means like really good. And it's like, oh, right. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a very different meaning. Uh, yeah. Um, but anyway, The Ripper. Uh, it's not about Jack the Ripper, as m- some people may suspect. It's actually about the Yorkshire Ripper, which is a lesser-known murderer, although still incredibly well-known in the UK. But probably doesn't have the reverence around the world because I've got the movies and things made about it. Um, but it was a series of murders in the 1970s in Yorkshire, in the UK, um, around kind of the Leeds-Bradford area. And I think it extended as far as Manchester and things at times. Um, and the reason they were called um, Ripper Murderers, or he was called the, the Yorkshire Ripper, was because initially it started out as he was predominant, or the person was predominantly murdering prostitutes. Um, but that kind of, I think accidentally at first, moved out of that, and then eventually I think he just started indiscriminately killing anyone he fancied killing. Um, and this is a documentary about the... Uh, the police investigation, which was um, complex, and they were a bit at a loss. It was, it was pre-DNA evidence, pre all these kind of things we have now. Um, and the, the the person that did it was quite good at covering their tracks within reason. Um, following, uh, eventually following on to them for ha- having found him. Uh, yeah, and Callum, what did you think? I thought it was quite a bit better. Um, partly because, as you know, as we know, the uh, it's a solved thing. So there's a real narrative that you can put around it, which sounds 
incredibly bad taste when I say it like that, but just in terms of making... Well, it's nice to know someone's in jail for it. Well, yes, no, that is true. Um, but in just in terms of making a documentary, this this isn't one of the ones that's just churned out where someone can go, oh, we don't know. <laughs> we don't know. Uh, instead, they, they do very much know. And there is a um, through line of what was going on. It's also a historical case. It's the uh, late 70s. Um, so there's a changing Britain that was going on, Thatcherite Britain, um, feminism, um, the Reclaim the Night movement, all of which kind of churns into what was going on because the Yorkshire Ripper, like, okay, so one very important thing, uh, later on they started putting curfews out, so a curfew on women in the streets, and there's this gigantic Reclaim the Night um, movement where they're holding signs that say, you know, ban men from the streets and things like that. And um, I think with any Netflix documentary, it's probably going to be a ceiling for how much I enjoy it, because I do think they're made with a bit too much sizzle, because they are making them purely for entertainment. And I think uh, for uh, true crime documentaries, I do like something uh, a little bit more um, earthy or a little bit more um, with a bit more um, filmmaking finesse that isn't just kind of quick cutting, quick cutting, quick cutting, flashy editing tricks, if that makes sense. So something like a thin blue line or something like that. But, you know, as this is probably up there in terms of Netflix documentaries, it's at near the top of that ceiling just because there's a lot going on. And it, I think it does a good job of contextualizing things historically and uh, talking about um, police incompetence, which is a very if you've listened to enough true crime podcasts or true crime stories, police incompetence comes back again, again and again, and again and again. And they contextualize everything very well. At first, I thought it was actually letting them off the hook a bit because in episodes one and two, they seem to be only interviewing the victims and the police, the victims and the police. And the victims were very sad and the police were like, oh, we were trying everything. We were trying everything. But then it starts to, and I was a little bit worried, but then they start to get into the meat of it and going, well, you didn't try that. You messed up that. So I think it's very, it did a good job of contextualizing that with only a little bit too much Netflix secret sauce on top which I'm never going to be completely a fan of. But overall, I like it, yeah. And what about yourself? I think, yeah, I think it's one of the best Netflix series out there. Um, I actually don't think it has, I don't think it is over-edited in the way a lot of stuff on Netflix is. Like, it's not over-edited like Making a Murderer is, or it's not over. I didn't feel like they were trying to cut the story into a certain place. I thought they were telling a fairly well-rounded you know, telling of the story. I quite like some of the visual cues. I quite like that when there was important information, they kind of put it up on the screen in a like actual text and things, which kind of made it stand out. And I thought that was quite well done visually. I like the use of found footage and I thought they had some good interviews and I thought the interviews merged with the found footage was the right amount of balance. I kind of, unless they're done incredibly well, find like reconstructions cheesy and they didn't really do that, which I thought was good. Um, they, they, they seem to be enough found footage out there. Like some of the found footage, some of the stuff that must have been shown on the news at the time is quite incredible. Like you wouldn't show some of the things today. I thought that myself. <laughs> there was like shots of people in fields dead and stuff because you seem to just dump people in the middle of fields. Um, and yeah, I don't think you'd be allowed that on the news anymore. Um, but I assume it's all news recordings. But it, yeah, it's... Uh, 
yeah, I think it's it's well very well put together. I think it tells the story well. I think yeah, it kind of at first it shows like the the cops is quite well meaning and and stuff, and then it starts to go, hang on, why didn't you suss this thing out earlier? Why didn't you listen to this person? Why didn't you pay more attention to this? They seem to put more stock in certain bits of evidence than others, and to at their detriment, they didn't seem to um, have the whole piece of the puzzle and i also think it just sounds like they had too much going on they didn't they didn't like get rid of lines of inquiry quick enough they just kind of it went all over the place um there was a bit where they're talking about how many they had like something like five million pieces of paper and they had to like reinforce the, the floor of the um of the like building where the the offices where they were trying to look for him in because there was so much paper um it just seems maddening. Like, like how are you going to get through that much kind of paperwork and things? So, yeah, it is. Um, yeah. It, 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 so I quite like the way that they, they kind of brought that stuff in. And then I quite liked the... It's quite anticlimactic, obviously. For anyone who knows the Yorkshire Ripper, I've forgotten, is, is it Ian Brady? No, no, it's not Ian Brady. It's Peter Sutcliffe. Peter Sutcliffe. I get the two mixed up. Because uh, the other one was the... Moore's murderer, yeah. Um, Peter Sutcliffe, when they kind of actually found him, everyone was like, oh, him, he's this monster. He just looks quite mild-mannered and and, and whatever. But uh, yeah, actually, obviously a massive monster. Um, and and kind of the way they talk about that and, and also the way, because all these people have been like, you know, how, how ridiculous and horrendous is that you just go again it's the whole victim blaming thing going well women don't be out after 10 p.m because you might get murdered and that kind of stuff was kind of a more interesting side of it and when they caught him and there's like thousands of people show up outside the courthouse just to boo him like i'm like yeah fuck that guy um and that stuff was kind of interesting as well to see um and just to show shows how how big a thing it was at the time um you don't i think maybe in the states there's a lot more serial killers like this but they're, they're quite rare in the uk um and often if they are yeah they, they're not kind of put together until after um so to have something like this that was just like such a big running thing in the news was huge in the 70s so i quite in, was intrigued at kind of the the social context of it all as well yeah no th- that was the thing i liked best about it i think as a fan of true crime um a lot of true crime is just boring because there's not a lot, you know, it's a horrible case that they're talking about. Sure. But, um, uh, you kind of feel like, well, there's nothing else to talk about. I think the best true crime, like, uh, whether it's a fictionalized account, like, um, um, David Finch's Zodiac or a documentary like this, or, uh, actually there is, um, a couple of several books and a TV miniseries about, uh, that's contextualized around the police work of the Yorkshire Ripper called the Red Riding Trilogy. And mm-hmm. you saw that. Um, the best true crime talks really ab- about the time in which this was allowed to happen because of uh, a, um, primitive police technology changing face of Britain, or if it's an American crime, changing face of America. And I think that's what this did very well is that it showed that how things were shifting from the late 70s into the early 80s. And I think that was what was, I think, the, the most meat about this. And they did a good job 
in fact, they could have probably done it a bit more. Um, I think of the four episodes, the middle two were the most interesting just because they were talking about feminism in Britain, um, police uh, being overworked, but also in some ways incompetent. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think I wanted to, I think I, if, if I have some minor criticisms, I would like to see a documentary that was kind of more around that with the... Contextualizing it more. Yeah, kind of. yeah with the um, Peter Sutcliffe as more as the undercurrent of the changing times rather than with the Ripper being the title thing. And then the police and changing times being the undercurrent, I think. Almost a little bit like Summer of Sam did as a movie. Yeah. In that kind of, yeah, kind of, you know, showing what was going on. Because, again, it was mentioned at times, like, about the liberalisation of things in the UK and kind of people for the first time starting to live together without being married and, and all, you know. And, yeah, yeah, exactly. And things starting to change for, for um, people in the LGBT Q community although not fully being there but starting to change and stuff so um yeah it's yeah definitely kind of interesting from that point of view i think the red riding trilogy does that very well so if you want to after you've watched the ripper everyone if you find wherever red riding trilogy is i'd watch that as a sort of as a as a chaser absolutely excellent i think that probably wraps us up quite nicely there i think so so callum what are your thoughts on uh, the uh, who killed Judando? I I was very tempted to give it a quite a low, very low score, but I think the third episode does pull it up a little bit. Um, but um, just to kind of be mean because I want to show meanness to these uh, Netflix documentaries that are just sort of tossed off. Uh, I'm going to give it a four tossed out of off. ten. Yeah, oh, cranked out, thrown out, whatever. Um, <laughs> I'm going to give it four out of 10. I'm just going to be mean to it. I think if I was interviewed, it was in the first couple of episodes, which just really are kind of like lowest, the lowest common denominator stuff. I think I'd be with you like a three or a four, but I think the last episode raised it. And I think the last episode was probably a seven. So I'm going to split the difference and give it a five. Nice. Excellent. Um, and then uh, the Ripper. I think the Ripper, I'm going to give a seven. Um, it's not perfect. Uh, it's still got a bit of Netflix sheen, not, not uh, the most, but a little bit. Um, and I think there's always going to be a ceiling for these kinds of true crime documentaries where I can't really get above that ceiling. So, and I would like to see more context, the more of the contextualized history rather than of rather than the stuff just about the Ripper. Um, so seven, but very good otherwise, and I'd recommend it. Yeah, I think I pretty much agree with you on all of that. Um, I probably would just about give it an eight because I did think it was really well put together overall. Um, and certainly the higher end of Netflix stuff, but yeah, not got that kind of like five, uh, that that ten out of ten, like a the thin blue line or something like that would have. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, yeah, but anyway, you know, I agree. So that means that we are going to give uh, Giordano four and a half, and uh, the Ripper uh, seven and a half. So yes. go and watch the Ripper. Probably maybe give yes, Giordano a miss. Check out the Ripper on Netflix. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, everyone, for listening. Um, come and join us next week for our a very special episode and uh, we will speak to you soon bye bye oh my lord Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? 
Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.